All right. Well, I'm excited to continue our study this evening on disciple-making and why it is important to the life of the local church. As I mentioned last week, we're going to spend... Uh, this, this is really kind of our last week talking through philosophy. Uh, just, it's important for us to be on the same page in regards to disciple-making and why it's important to the local church. And then um, next week, I'm out of town. Uh, the week after that, we have a missionary coming in. And then we're going to take a couple of weeks, and we're going to talk through tactics, just some really practical things about what this is going to actually look like in the life of our local church. Tonight, I want to look at some objections to disciple-making. All right, so th this is a command that Jesus gives us, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. This is something that we are commanded to do. And yet, so often, the church doesn't do it effectively. So then the question becomes, why? Well, there are some common objections to this practice. So tonight, I want to look at a few of these and address them from Scripture. But before we do that, let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer and ask Him to help us this evening. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to look at your Word uh, I pray that you would help me. I have lots of thoughts and uh, feel just a little bit, a little bit scattered on, on some of this tonight. I pray that you would help me to, to focus and uh, just bring my, thoughts, uh, bring my thoughts into alignment. I pray that you would help me to communicate uh, what you would want me to communicate. And uh, just give me the, the, grace, the grace and wisdom as we look at this important topic tonight. And Father, I do pray that you would help us to not just be hearers of the word, but to be doers of it. It's really, it's possible for us to have really good theology in our heads, but never allow that theology to penetrate our hearts and come out our hands. And so I pray that you would help us to, uh, to be individuals of faith, to, to take you at your word, but then also to go and, and act upon it. We'll give you the honor and glory for it because you're the one that deserves it. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. I want to look at five objections tonight to disciple making. Five objections. And there's no reason for us to beat around the bush, so let's go ahead and jump right in. The first objection that you might hear regarding disciple-making is that my disciple-maker is not ideal. So this is, uh, maybe I get, you get paired with an individual that your personalities don't quite mesh. Or you're like, ah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be necessarily really good friends with that person, or ah, I don't know them, or ah, they're coming from a really different place in life than I am. If I had my choice of who my disciple-maker would be, this might not be the person. My disciple maker isn't ideal. Well, the short answer for this is uh, you're not ideal either. <laughs> you're not ideal either. The reality is, is that all of us are sinners who are saved by the grace of God. And all of us are equal in the sight of God. All of us are equally needy of God's grace. All of us are equally sinners. And the reality is, if you're looking at somebody else in the context of a disciple-making relationship, and you're saying, they're not, they're not ideal for me, there's a strong possibility that they're looking at you and saying the same thing. Right? So we need to understand that in this disciple-making relationship, this is a, a mutual relationship where we're coming together to grow in grace and grow in the image of Jesus Christ together. So we can't look at other people and say they're not ideal. We need to first look at ourselves and recognize that we've got a long way to go in our own personal pursuit of Jesus Christ. God is the only perfect one in the disciple-making equation. God is the only perfect one. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn over to the book of Philippians. We're going to be moving around a lot tonight. Um, this, isn't normally, this isn't normally the way that I teach. Uh, normally pick a text and just kind of walk through it. 
But tonight we're going to be uh, a little bit more of a topical study. And uh, so get ready to turn around, uh, to turn to several different texts with me tonight. But Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13 says this, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So you and I have a personal responsibility to grow into the image of Jesus Christ. He says, work out your own salvation. But notice who is the one that is actually accomplishing the work of helping us grow into the image of Jesus Christ. Look at what Paul says in verse 13. For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So it is God that is accomplishing the work to grow us into the image of Jesus Christ. So it's not you that's doing it, and it's not me that's doing it. It is God that is doing it. And God is the only perfect one in this process of disciple-making. And we need to understand when we're discipling somebody else that we're taking them where they're at and helping them grow into the image of Jesus Christ. But I also need to understand that I have shortcomings and flaws, and I as well need to grow into the image of Jesus Christ. We need to pursue after Christ together, and as we do that, we'll grow in our relationship with one another. I would also say that God receives glory by allowing imperfect vessels like you and I to accomplish his will. God receives the glory for it. I love this text. Turn with me over to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And once you're there, look with me beginning in verse 26. Paul says this, For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. And then look at how, look at how Paul describes the people that God chooses to use. Well, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world, and the things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and the things which are not, to bring to naught things that are. If you were to go and put that list of things on your resume, you're not going to get hired at very many places. So why does God choose to use these type of individuals? Well, look at what he says in verse, 20, or verse 29. That no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. God gets glory by using foolish individuals to help accomplish his will. And God gets glory by using you and I in the process of making disciples. I would also say that it requires humility for you and I to learn from other true disciples of Christ. It requires humility. You and I can learn from each individual in this room. We can. And we need to learn from each other. Scripture over and over again uses the phrase one another. God has designed us to operate and function in community. But often where disciple making breaks down in the local church is when we come in and we have a higher view of ourselves than we ought to. And we aren't willing to humble ourselves to learn from our brothers in Christ. And that's not the way that God designed the church to function. That's not the way that God designed us to function. In fact, hold your spot here. I didn't even have this text planned out. But turn over to the book of Philippians. Turn over to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. And you guys probably know where I'm already going with this. 
Philippians chapter 2. And look with me, Philippians chapter 2, look with me in verse 1. He says, If there be therefore any consolation or encouragement in Christ, if any comfort of love, I think there he's talking about the love of God the Father, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, I think what Paul is trying to say there in verse 1, all-encompassing, he's saying, listen, if the gospel has made any kind of a difference or an impact in your life, what then should your response be? Look at verse 2. Fulfill you my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own thing, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then Paul goes on to demonstrate how Christ had that mind by sacrifice, humbling himself, right, becoming a man, and not only becoming a man, becoming a servant, and becoming a servant who was willing to die on the cross for you and I. So you and I have a responsibility to demonstrate humility within the context of the body of Christ so that we can learn from one another. Okay, so my discipler is not ideal. I, I don't think that that's a valid excuse to not participate in disciple making in the local church. The second objection that you might come across is this. It feels maybe self-exalting. For me to say that I'm discipling somebody else, for me to say that I'm helping somebody take the next spiritual step in their walk with Jesus, that can feel self-exalting. It can be, make me feel proud. I mean, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1, follow me, right? And that can feel self-exalting at times. Well, I have a couple thoughts on that. 1 Corinthians 11, 1, as you probably noticed, I only quoted half the verse. Paul says, be followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. Christian disciple-making calls us to follow one another only insofar as we follow Christ. So if you're discipling somebody else, right? They, yes, they have the responsibility. You are helping shepherd them. You are helping them grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. But they are only obligated to follow me in as much as I am pointing them toward Jesus. This doesn't mean that people are necessarily called to follow all of your cultural preferences or stylistic practices, or maybe they're not, they're not obligated to follow every, every jot and tittle of how you live your life. But at the same time, if you are genuinely following after Jesus and you want to help them grow, you can help them take the next step in their spiritual life. There's also tremendous responsibility in modeling Christ for another person. This is, a, this, is a humbling, this is a humbling experience. And the responsibility to model Christ for somebody else is a heavy responsibility. This isn't something to be taken lightly. This isn't something where we pound on our chest and say, look at me, follow after me. No, the responsibility to model Christ for somebody else, that is a heavy, that is a heavy call. That is a, a weighty responsibility. In fact, hold your spot here. Turn over to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. In Luke chapter 6 and verse 40, Christ says this, The disciple is not above his master, but everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. Do you know what that means? That means that if you are a disciple maker and you are exerting influence and have the opportunity to lead somebody else, you have the opportunity to have tremendous influence in the life of somebody else. And that influence can go one of two ways. 
You can either help somebody grow into the image of Jesus Christ, or you also have the opportunity to do irrevocable damage to somebody in their personal pursuit of Jesus. So you need to understand that taking the charge to be a disciple maker is a weighty responsibility. This isn't something to be entered into lightly, and this is certainly not a proud thing. In fact, this is something that should humble us as we realize that we are not adequate. (laughs) But rather, we fall on our face and ask for God to give us grace and to work for us and in us and through us and to keep us humble. And as we humbly follow after Jesus, we put our arms around somebody else and encourage them to come with us. But I would, I would argue that disciple-making isn't, isn't prideful, it's biblical. I mean, this is Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Jesus says, go and teach all nations. Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. That's an imperative. That's a command. So it can't be, it can't be prideful. It, it's biblical because Christ has commanded us to do it. What matters is the attitude in which you and I approach it. But when we understand the weight of the responsibility, when we understand the fact that this requires humility out of us, this has to drive us to the foot of the cross and ask God for the grace and strength to help us walk with him and abide in him on a daily basis. That's why in, Jesus, uh, in, in John chapter 15, when Jesus is teaching his disciples and he's giving them that, that talk, and I'm the vine and you're the branches, and he gives that talk about abiding, that's where in John 15, 5, he says, without me, ye can do nothing. So we have a responsibility to abide in Christ. And this is a humbling thing. So it's our, it's our attitude that matters. Disciple-making in and of itself is not inherently self-exalting. In fact, it's Christ-exalting. It's the way that you and I approach it. Objection number three. I don't want to impose myself on anyone. I don't want to impose myself on anyone. Well, I'm just going to do my thing, and they're going to do their thing. I don't do the whole confrontational, like... I, I just don't want, to, I don't want to impose the way that I do things on, on somebody else. That's uncomfortable. It's weird. I don't want to do that. I'd rather just let them do their thing and I'll do my thing. Well, hold your, uh, well, you don't have to hold your spot here. Just turn over to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 20 and 21, it says this, Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Disciple-making is a mutually agreed-upon relationship with another Christian brother. So if you are walking with somebody, if you are putting your arm around them and saying, hey, I'm trying to passionately pursue after Jesus Christ, and I want you to come along with me in that process, and if they agree to that, then you have a responsibility to shepherd and to spiritually encourage and to point that individual to Jesus. It's not an imposition. It's a mutually agreed upon relationship. We also, we need accountability and challenge in our Christian life to help us continue to walk with Jesus. We need, we need challenge. We need accountability. We need somebody to sit across from us and look us in the eye and say, and ask some of those difficult questions. How are you doing this week? What type of things have you looked at? Are you, uh, how, how have you been in your disciple reading or, or in, your, uh, in your Bible reading and prayer? How have you been doing in those things this week? Have you shared the gospel 
with anybody this week. We need somebody to sit across from us and to bring us challenge. The Bible tells us the iron sharpens iron. We need that accountability in our Christian life. We need those things. In fact, uh, turn back to 1 Corinthians. Turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. First Corinthians chapter, chapter 10. And then pick it up here in verse, uh, yeah, pick it up here in verse 11. He says, now these things happen unto them for examples. They are written for our admonition, for our learning, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. There is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man, but... God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. So we need to take heed to ourselves, lest we fall, but understand that when temptation comes, when difficulties come, when these things approach us in our Christian life, the Bible says that God is faithful. He will make a way to escape so that we can bear it. But what is that way of escape? I would argue that a lot of times that way of escape that God gives us is a solid Christian brother. We could pick up the phone and call and say, hey, I'm struggling right now. Can you help me? Can you help me? I had a guy that was going through an issue, and I was his accountability partner. And he said, man, sometimes when I'm sitting at home by myself, I just, it's just really a struggle for me. I said, well, what's your plan? And he said, well, I just I kind of put all my devices away and I get up and I, and I go for a walk. And I said, well, OK, but that's not good enough. I said, instead of just putting your devices away while well, they're still there tempting you, pick up the phone and call somebody. I said, call me. Doesn't matter the time of the day. Right? Just pick up the phone and call me and let me help you. Let me help you. God allows us to function as accountability for one another. God allows us to bring challenge for one another for the purpose of helping each other grow into the image of Jesus Christ. God didn't make us to walk through the Christian life alone. We'll get to that in a minute. God has designed us to function together in community. We need accountability. We need challenge. Transparency, right? Transparency is a big part in helping us grow in godliness. If we're being secretive, if we're sliding things under the rug, if we don't want to be open and honest and transparent, we're going to struggle to grow in our spiritual life. So you imposing yourself on somebody else isn't, isn't an excuse. Right? If, if this is a mutually agreed upon relationship, you have a spiritual responsibility to walk alongside. You have a spiritual responsibility to bring accountability and challenge and help your brother in Christ grow. And we can't be afraid to impose ourselves, right? It's just the way in which we do it. The way in which we do it matters. But we need accountability and we need challenge. The next objection here, I'm, I'm too busy for this to be a priority. I'm too busy for this to be a priority. This is the one we hear a lot. Man, disciple making sounds really good. Ah, yeah, we need it in the local church. Yeah, that's a big one. Yeah, we need to do that. And then we get into our, our Monday to Friday, 9 to 5. And all of a sudden, right, our schedule loads up with other things. In fact, um, Pastor Tim Potter, when he was here doing a disciple-making disciple seminar, laid out his schedule for the entire week. And he said, when my schedule for the whole entire week was done, he said he had, what, two, two hours, I think? Maybe? Maybe two or four hours in his week dedicated for disciple-making. So for something that God has commanded us to do, sometimes just the busyness of our lives and the busyness of our schedule seem to get in the way. So how then do we handle this? How then do we handle this? 
Well, first, I would tell you that God has not called us to be Lone Ranger Christians. God has not called us to be Lone Ranger Christians or spiritual ninjas, whichever one sticks with you better. You know what I mean by that? But when I talk about the spiritual ninja, okay, like they're sneaky. And so sometimes all you can catch is just like a hint of their shadow. So these are kind of the people, and again, I'm not looking at anybody here, but these are the people that like after the song service starts, okay, they kind of come in, slide into the back row, and then when the invitation starts, they kind of get up and, and slide out the back, and you look around, and you kind of see their shadow disappears. They go out around the corner, and you're like, man, was that person, were they there? I, I don't know. Are, are they, do they still come down? Yeah. Spiritual ninjas, right? God has not called us to be spiritual ninjas. God hasn't called us to be Lone Ranger Christians. God has called us and designed us to function in spiritual community. Turn, out, turn with me over to the book of Hebrews. Don't take my word for it. Let's look at the text together. Yeah, let's look at the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. The author of Hebrews says this beginning in verse 22. Let us. Notice how many times he says let us in this text. Let us draw near with a full heart or with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. God has called his church to operate as a family. Let us. Let us. Let me just give you a couple of additional thoughts here. When it comes to, um, when it comes to this idea of I'm, I'm too busy. This is where kind of the program versus the relationship debate that we talked about last week. This is where this comes into play sometimes. We have to fight against the desire. In our celebrity-driven culture, we have to, to fight against the impulse. We have to fight against the desire to show tremendous public displays of talent. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's easy for us to put on a show in the church, and it's easy for us to say, hey, look at us, and look at all the great stuff that we're doing, and we could have all the right, you know, we could have everything be on point, everything could look really sharp, and we could put on these great uh, public displays of talent and ability, but if we're always worried about running a good program and if we're always worried about putting our best foot forward and we're never willing to take a step back and say, hey, I'm going to invest in a few people, right? That might not mean that everything is perfect, right? That might not mean that everything always runs completely as it, as it should. You know what I mean? Like there could be times where all of a sudden there, there might be a few issues and snafus here and there, right? We don't have a piano player that shows up when we're ready to start the song service, you know, but you know, she's in the back and she's discipling, which is great. You know what I mean? So we can live with that. You know, we can live with that. But we need to understand that if we're always worried about putting on a show, if we're always worried about these public displays of talent, we'll miss opportunities to invest in real, genuine relationships and make disciples. Programs don't make disciples. Relationships make disciples. We need to intentionally invest in the few. And, and discipling, the, the modern church today, it needs disciple making. I, we don't live in a moralistic culture where we have to convince people that they're sinners. Evil is so rampant in our society today. People know the evils and the realities that are out there. The major issues that are facing our culture today are things like loneliness and anxiety and insecurity. So instead of 
dealing with a moralistic culture where all of a sudden people think that they're pretty good and you have to convince them that they're sinners. We are actually dealing with an, with an anxious, lonely culture that is looking around and saying, am I actually valued? And people are scrolling through Instagram and they're looking at TikTok and they're seeing everybody's best life that's out there and they're going, man, everybody looks great. All this other stuff is going on and I'm a mess. Does anybody actually care? And our church needs disciple making. And those issues of loneliness and anxiety, those aren't just limited to the world. Those infect the church as well. And we have people in our church that need genuine relationship. They need somebody to come alongside of them and say, you have value. We care. God loves you. How can I help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ? I would also say that our modern church today needs disciple-making because people make missteps at key times in their lives. People make missteps at key times in their lives. Did you know that 10 of the biggest important decisions that people make in their life come between the ages of 16 and 25? And I don't know how you were when you were 16 or 25, but I was an idiot. I'm just saying, right? So 10 of the biggest decisions that I made in my life happened in that time frame. And so when you look around, did you know we had about 125 people here this morning? 40 of those individuals were underneath the age of 12. So a third of our church, okay, they're, they're about to hit this, this age bracket where they're making some important life decisions. We need disciple making in our church. Have you ever heard of the midlife crisis? Do you think people who have, you know, people who have kids and careers and jobs, do they, do they need somebody to come alongside of them and help navigate them through some, some difficult periods in their life? Okay, when all of a sudden the, the 30s are in the, in the rearview mirror and they're looking ahead going, man, I don't, I don't know what's next. I'm not there yet, but my dad told me that that kind of happened, right? And he was thankful for godly people in his life that helped him and helped him navigate through some of that. What about people looking at retirement age? In retirement, has God just called us to say, hey, Man, I'm done. Time for somebody else to pick, it up, pick up the slack and right, I'm going to go sit on a beach in Florida. Right? Is, that, is, that what God, is that what God has called us to do? No. no. So there, there's never not a time when disciple making is necessary. At this key, these key points in our lives, we see people over and over again make missteps or poor decisions. And, and we need people to come alongside of us and say, hey, let me, let me help show you how I navigated through that. Hey, let, let, me, give you, let me give you some advice here. Ah, man, I... Let me, let, me give you, let, let me give you some counsel on that decision. Let me help point you toward Jesus. We need that. We need, I need that. I need that. And I'm thankful for godly men in my life, right, that I call and get advice and help on because I, I need this. You need this. Our church needs this. Another reason that our modern church needs disciple-making, the reason that us not having time to do this is, not a valid excuse is because, and I mentioned it in my prayer earlier, but there's a lot of individuals sitting in church pews today that have good theology in their heads, but they don't have any theology in their hearts. There's individuals that come and sit in church on Sunday, and they say amen, and they tell the preacher how great a message was, and then they go home and their eyes stray on the internet. Or they're unkind to their spouse, or they don't have a reputation as a truth teller 
in their workplace. We have good theology in our heads, but that theology has never actually penetrated our hearts and comes out our hands. How helpful would it be if we had somebody come alongside and ask some of those difficult accountability questions? How helpful would it be if we had somebody put an arm around and say, hey, I'm noticing some of these things in your life. Can, can, I, just, can I just ask, how are things going? How can I help you grow in your relationship with Christ? I think this is the reason as well that we see young men that have talent that grow into leadership positions in churches and then experience really painful falls. Because everybody is excited about their talent. Nobody actually takes the time to disciple. And that doesn't just happen in church leadership. That happens in the pews as well. We have people and we're excited about their talent. We're excited about their ability. And we continue to push them and push them and push them. Give them additional responsibility. Hey, you're growing in the church. Hey, there's this and this and this. Oh, man, here's more, here's more, here's more. And all of a sudden, we're not... We're more concerned about their ability and we're less concerned about their spiritual condition. And all of a sudden, people start experiencing painful falls. Not having time to make disciples is, is not, not an excuse. I'm really thankful that in our staff meetings every Tuesday morning, Pastor Will opens up God's Word and takes some time to share a devotional with us. Because we need it. <laughs> we need it. If we were to just come in and immediately get right to work and get right to business and we can talk about the programs, we could talk about how we're going to implement disciple making, we could talk about how we're going to do all these things and how we're going to administrate the church and how things are going to function and flow. And there's a lot of those discussions that happen anyway. But if we didn't take any time to intentionally disciple one another, we're just getting off on the wrong foundation. We need, we need this. We need this. I would also say that discipling others helps us keep a close eye on ourselves. Turn over to First Thess or First Timothy, I'm sorry, First Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. First Timothy chapter 4 and verse 16. Paul tells Timothy, Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine, continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Can I just tell you that when I'm, when I'm meeting with my with my guys on Wednesday night for disciple making, when I know that I've got to sit across from them and I've got to ask them difficult accountability questions, and when I know that they're going to turn around and ask me the same thing, uh, that really helps me to take heed to myself. Because I want to lead them well, and I want to point them to Jesus. But I also need to be honest and transparent. So as I'm going through my day, and as I'm navigating through different difficult situations throughout the course of the week, and I know that they're going to ask me things like, did you get angry this week? And lash out in a way that you weren't supposed to. How did you treat Miss Ange this week? Did you spend time reading your Bible and in prayer this week? All of a sudden, I'm taking a lot more intentional heed to myself. So by you discipling somebody else and fostering this environment of accountability and fostering this environment of transparency and honesty, not only are you helping somebody else grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ, you're actually actively taking heed to yourself as well. So we need this. We need this. And sometimes we say that the time, the time is an issue, but that second blank there underneath this, ultimately this isn't a preference issue. This is an issue of obedience to Christ. 
Christ has commanded us to do this. So if you are not engaged, in, it's not like, hey, I don't have time to do it. Ah, man, it sounds really good, but I just, I can't fit it into my schedule right now. Jesus has commanded us to do this. So if we don't do it, we are being disobedient to Christ. We're being disobedient to the charge to love his church. We're disobedient to that Hebrews 10.25 command where he says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Right? This is a command issue. So it's not a matter of preference or, well, I mean, that's good for some people, but that sounds really uncomfortable for me. So I'm just going to sit off to the side and do kind of my own thing and not really check in or engage to this. It's not an option. If we're going to be obedient to Jesus, if we're going to demonstrate love for him by following his commands, it requires that we engage in this process of making disciples. And the reality is, is that we do what we want to. We do what we want to. There's a lot of things that I can fit into the course of my week. The Premier League just kicked off this weekend, right? Chelsea beat Everton yesterday at Goodison Park, won nothing. Had a penalty right at the end of the first half. Awesome, right? We haven't won there in like four years. I say we generically. I'm a Chelsea fan. I wasn't actually there. All right, but I'm a huge Chelsea fan, and we won three points. Fantastic. So I, I watched like an 11-minute highlight video yesterday, right? Because I wanted to see how Chelsea beat up on Everton. It was fantastic. I, I can do that because I want to. That's something that I desire to do. I used to play a lot of I used to play a lot of fantasy football. I used to be in like five different leagues, right? And I won like three of them. All right, so I mean, I, but it was it was a lot of research. And it was a lot of time to play fantasy football effectively. You know how many fantasy football leagues I'm in now? Zero. You know why? Because it was taking a lot of time and taking a lot of attention. There's nothing sinful about playing fantasy football, but I just realized that for me, per, and again, I'm not I'm not preaching against it. I'm just saying for me personally, right? I needed to give something up. Because we do what we want to do. And if I feel like this is something that God has called us to do, this is something that God has commanded me to do, it needs my time and it, it needs my attention. Angela's pastor growing up, uh, she grew up in the, in the north, well, we both did, in the north woods of Wisconsin, about an hour and a half north of Green Bay. The county that I grew up in had more deer than people, all right, just to, for a frame of reference. Uh, the, first, the first week of deer season, the public schools would, it was a school holiday. So the public schools would not have school the first week of deer season. And all the kids would put on orange and run around in the woods and shoot stuff. Like that's, that's the culture that I, that I grew up in. So Angela's pastor growing up was a very, very talented, very talented deer hunter, bow hunter. And uh, there was a period of time in his life where he realized that hunting became an idol in his life. And it was distracting him from the ministry. It was distracting him for the work, from the work of making disciples. So for a period of time in his own life, he said, hey, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not going to do that. It was what, 10 years, something like that? It was a long time. And he took that because it was an idol in his life and it was distracting him from God's call to make disciples. So my question for you would be, what are you giving your time and attention to that maybe you could remove? If you're not engaged in this work of making disciples, what are you giving your time and attention to that you say, hey, this is maybe something, it's not a bad thing. This is maybe something that I need to put on the shelf so that I can actively engage in God's command to make disciples. Because we do what we want to. 
right, I won't beat on that point any longer. All right, let's go ahead and move on to our last objection here. I can't do this. I'm too young or I'm too flawed. Or I have issues. I'm struggling. I can't actually do the work of making disciples. When I was writing this one out, it reminded me of the words of Moses all the way back in the book of Exodus. Do you remember this? When, God, when, God called, or when Moses came to the burning bush and God called Moses and God told Moses what he wanted him to do, and Moses objects. I want to show it to you because it's awesome. It's actually up on the, up on the screen as well. But if you want to turn there and look at it in your Bible, it's in Exodus chapter 4. It's in Exodus chapter 4. And it says this in Exodus 4, 11 and 12. So after, well, pick it up in verse 10. Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. Moses said, God gives Moses this mission. He says, I want you to go do it. And Moses says, I can't. I can't speak good enough, right? I, I, I don't have the talent. I don't have the ability. I don't have the skill set to be able to go and do this. And this is God's response. And the Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth? Or who maketh the dumb or deaf or the seeing or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth and teach thee what thou shalt say. You know what God says here? God says, I know exactly what I was doing when I made you. This is my rough paraphrase. So build a bridge and get over it. Go and do what I've called you to do. This is what God tells Moses. So if we say, I can't do this, I'm too young, I'm too flawed. You're called to share what you know. You're called to share what you know. For some, this may be the simple gospel. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 20. God has called us to be ambassadors of reconciliation. Go and share the gospel. Listen, you might not know all the, all the deepest aspects of theology, right? I mean, you might not be able to talk eloquently about super sublapsarianism. There's not many people that can. But on the flip side of that, you can go and share the gospel with someone and be an ambassador of reconciliation. Pastor Will and I got a really encouraging Facebook message this week. Um, there was a girl that was here for, for Houston for Christ. And on Thursday morning, we did, a super, we, we did a simple exercise. Taught them how to lead a child to Christ. I teach her every year for vacation Bible school. Um, and so I just taught the teens how to lead a child to Christ. And I said, listen, if you don't have a plan to be able to share the gospel with somebody, you, you, need, to have, you need to have a plan. And so taught it to them and then actually had them pair up and try to win their partner to Christ. So this girl got paired up with her, with her youth pastor's wife and they were practicing and, and she, she made the comment to her youth pastor's wife, I didn't know that I could actually do this. And then they get back to, they get back to North Carolina and she keeps talking about this, keeps talking about this exercise and mostly joking about the fact that she led her youth pastor's wife to Christ. Um, but... You know, so they're, they're joking about that, having a good time. But then she's out hanging out with, with an unsafe friend. Lord convicts her, and she decided to take the leap. And she launched into and shared the gospel with her unsafe friend. And her unsafe friend goes, man, you've, you've given me a lot to think about. I'd like to talk about this more later. Then the following Sunday, she got up in front of her entire youth group and shared a testimony about how she shared the gospel with her unsafe friend. And now that entire youth group is praying for her unsafe friend to come to Christ. Listen, you don't have to be the smartest, the brightest, sharpest knife in the drawer. But can you share what you know? Can you tell somebody about Jesus? Can, if, they get, if they accept Christ as their Savior, can you help them take that next spiritual step in their relationship with Him? 
Can you encourage them? Hey, now that you're saved, what's the next logical step? Baptism, right? And all of a sudden, what are we doing? We're making a disciple. That's Matthew 28, 19, and 20. As this doesn't have to be super complicated. But it does require that we be intentional and engaged in God's work of growing His church through the process of making disciples. I'd also encourage you, you need to initiate conversations with other church members by asking spiritual questions and sharing what you're learning. Sharing what you're learning. Um, I got a couple minutes. All right, turn, turn over to Ephesians 2. I want to share, share with you guys something that I was learning in my own personal devotions. As we were getting ready for, um, we were getting ready to do some, do some discipleship with, um, getting ready to do some discipleship with the teens. We were walking through the book of Ephesians. And I've, I've preached this text, I've studied this text, but something just really popped at me that I had never seen before when I was looking at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Notice this in, um, in, in chapter 2 and verse 1, he says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Okay, so what pronoun has he used in verses 1 and 2? You, right? Now look at verse 3. What does he say? Among whom also, what? We. He changes his pronoun here. Do you see that? I never made this connection before. Okay? And again, yeah, I know this is a little bit of an English lesson. All right? Forgive me for just a second. All right? But let me make the point. I think in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, Paul is talking to the Gentiles in the church. And he's saying, listen, these are the factors that influence your life. Look at all these things that you guys did. Paul's a Jew, right? And the church is made up of Jews and Gentiles. So he's saying, hey, you, unbelieving pagans, before you were saved, this is what you did. But, but, look at verse 3. And he says, now, among whom also we. Who's ta Paul talking about? The Jews, the religious establishment. These are people that had all, I mean, all the, the, the religious uh, opportunity in the world. These are people that looked like spiritually they had it together on the outside. But how does Paul describe them? He says, we had our conversation in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we, children of Abraham, were children of wrath, even like the Gentiles. So what's Paul saying? It doesn't matter if you're a pagan or it doesn't matter if you're a Pharisee. We all equally need Jesus because we're all in the same spiritual condition. I never noticed that before. So I'm, I'm looking through this and I'm reading and I'm studying this and this pops off the page to me. I'm like, man, this is awesome. It completely changed the way I look at this text. Fantastic. So then I'm studying with a couple guys and we're talking and we're looking through some things and they're like, hey, what are you learning in, in your study? What are you learning in your study? And I took them to Ephesians chapter two and I said, this is what God is teaching me right now. And it was just an awesome time to be able to say, listen, we are learning together and we're growing together. And there's humility in saying, I've preached this text multiple times and I've never noticed this before. You know what I mean? But, but we're learning together and we're growing together and all of a sudden we're, we're being transformed by the word of God. We're going to the image of Jesus Christ. This is what it's all about. This is what it's all about. So you can initiate spiritual conversations with people. You can ask them what they're learning from their personal study in God's word. Yeah, you, you, can, you can do this. You can do this. And finally here, I would, I would just make the argument that anyone truly following Christ can, and not just can, but you must, disciple. This is a command from Jesus. So listen, there are a lot of objections. And, and I've given you five here. And I know that there are probably more. And you might have heard alternate objections. Okay, I'm just giving you five that I was reading about and thought about. But understand that each of these objections has an answer. 
And none of these objections are valid excuses for us to neglect our great commission responsibility of making disciples. The question is, will you do it? Will you do it? I hope that you will. Let's not just be hearers of the word, let's be doers of it. All right, now this is what we're going to do. We're, cl- we're going to close in prayer, and just like we did last week, okay, I have a group assignment for you guys to do. All right, and then once your group is done, then you can be dismissed, all right, once we're finished. Uh, but let's go ahead and pray, close in a word of prayer. I'll give you your group discussion question, and then, uh, and then go ahead and split up groups of four or five, and uh, just go ahead and split up and then work through this discussion question together. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for the time around your word tonight. I know this has been challenging for me, and there are times that I personally have made some of these excuses. And Father, I pray that you would forgive me for that and help me to recommit and re-engage in this process of making disciples. This is something that you want each of us to do. This is a way that you want all of us to grow. And I pray that as we passionately pursue Jesus Christ, you would challenge us and convict us to put our arm around somebody else and say, hey, come with me as I follow Christ. We'll give you the honor and glory for it because you're the one that deserves it. We ask these things in your name. Amen.